Hello, and welcome to episode 21 of the Movie Marathoners podcast. I'm your host, Mati, and my guest today is the host of the Colby Told Me podcast and the co-host of the Minorities Report podcast. He is the one and only Colby Mack. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing today? Yo, yo, yo. What up, Monty? How you doing, brother? I am doing great. I'm really excited to talk about this one with you. I, I, woo, I am glad this is my first bite at the apple. So you're welcome. Okay. Um, <laughs> I couldn't contain it. I, I, I want to, you know, you watch a movie and it's like, I cannot wait to talk about this with people. And this is the type of film. And we've had a few of those this year where it's just like, there's so much to chew on. So we obviously had such a blast talking about clowns in It Chapter 2 that I had to invite you back for the film about the clown prince of Gotham. We will be running through DC's newest film, Joker. We'll warm up with brief spoiler-free thoughts on the film, and then we'll run into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the film. And as always, we'll round out the episode with our point two section where we discuss what else we've been watching. So first, a synopsis of Joker. I say this a lot, but this is a ridiculously brief synopsis of Joker. (laughs) A gritty character study of Arthur Fleck, a man disregarded by society. Joker stars Joaquin Phoenix, Robert De Niro, and Zazie Beetz. It's written by Todd Phillips and Scott Silver and is also directed by Todd Phillips. (gasps) (laughs) If they stop bothering my kid... Sorry. Arthur, I have some bad news for you. (laughs) This is the last time we'll be meeting. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have... Our negative thoughts. And finally, in a world where everyone thinks they could do my job, check out this guy. When I was a little boy and told people I was going to be a comedian, everyone laughed at me. Well, no one's laughing now. So I just want to start off by telling you about my theater experience for this movie, because something happened that has never happened to me before. There was a guy in the front of the theater who was just kind of making comments about everything in the movie, and he was talking really loudly and making commentary about the film. I don't think that's super common or super uncommon to have somebody Mm -hmm. being disruptive during the film. He was kind of, you know, it was clear that he was a little off and he was a little socially awkward. And then about halfway through the film, a guy, a couple rows behind me, screamed at him. He screamed, shut the fuck up, man. And then he kept going for a little bit, um, occasionally saying something. And then maybe 10 minutes later, another guy from the back of the theater, like super aggressively screams, hey, shut the fuck up. I'm fucking sick of hearing you. And then (laughs) he gets up and storms out of the theater. And I found that interaction, first off, to be crazy because I'd never seen that before in a theater, but also (laughs) pretty ironic that this was you know, given the theater or I mean, sorry, given the film that we were seeing that this Mm -hmm. was, this guy was yelling at a guy for kind of acting off. So it was a very weird theater experience, especially given, you know, all the controversies around it and everything. The movie's a pot boiler. That's what it is. It's just, it's bringing, it's bringing the worst out of people apparently. (laughs) Yeah. So with that, let's just jump straight in. Uh, Colby, what are your thoughts on the Joker? Oh my God. So the Joker was my number three most anticipated film of the year. And I got to be honest with you, up until It Chapter 2, things were not looking good. 
And it wasn't the Joker's fault at all. Pre-controversy and outside noise. At the beginning of the year, I was looking forward to Us, number one, It Chapter 2, and then The Joker. And while I enjoyed Us, it fell short of my expectations. And while I enjoyed It Chapter 2, make sure to listen to that episode, mm-hmm. um, it fell short of my expectations. I was like, please, oh, please, let's find this Joker movie, Sans Batman, with Todd Phillips directing yeah. <laughs> and Joaquin Phoenix. Let's see if this can, you know, meet my expectations. And, you know, the first trailer came out and I was like, okay. I could vibe with this. Like, this is unique. I, the second trailer, I kind of don't really vibe much into the second trailers. Um, I really try to go in as cold as possible. And then all the talk happens. It wins the Golden Lion at this film festival. And people love it. People hate it. People hate the idea of it. Mm-hmm. I'm great at compartmental, com- compartmentalization. So I can check my bias at the door and go in and just enjoy a movie. And my goodness gracious that I enjoy this film. This met and exceeded my expectations on so many levels, and I found it to be kind of what it is. It's a character study about a fictional character that has been in pop culture for decades, considered a top five, you know, villain of all time. You know, whatever kind of genre, subgenre between him, you know, Darth Vader, um, a couple of others like this. This is it. Right. Mm -hmm. And. Most prominently, Heath Ledger's performance in The Dark Knight was kind of this crescendo moment that we like at the realization of what the Joker could be in like the the biggest and boldest form that we had. And, and to challenge that, I felt like rubbed everybody the wrong way. And I love that after watching this movie, I don't care at all to compare them. And I thought that what I saw was honestly, if you just take the name Joker off of it, it's a story of a man who had a series of bad days that got worse. And it was a slow burn, a very patient, endearing film. It's, and I gotta be honest with you, all the technical things wrapped up around this, the score, the production design, the cinematography, like it it, it really, really did blow me away. And I just yeah. felt so, it's it's weird. Obviously, I don't feel any of these things that Arthur Fleck is going through in this film personally, but I understand it, and I really hope that by the end of our conversation, the folks that are listening, and even those are the folks that are so on the fence about this movie, there's a difference with this film of sympathizing for a character and understanding a character. I understand mm-hmm. Arthur Fleck and the Joker. I do not sympathize with him in the least. <laughs> and I think that's I, – I, I really, really think that that's the thing that makes this movie work so much for me. And it like Joaquin – He's a beast. And this is like it's such a curiously satisfying, satisfying character comic book movie ever. Like it's we've had great comic book movies and this is still a DC movie. Somehow, somehow, as much as Todd Phillips really didn't want this to be. Oh, this isn't a DC. Yes, it is. This is very much like this is very much a DC movie. And what Phillips and Phoenix, they unleash this unapologetic, just in your face, think peak think piece it has a commentary on today's society it doesn't pull any punches um and it laughs at you the entire way and it somehow manages to overcome in my opinion all the vitriol all the outside noise it's tender um i think that it doesn't pacify its actions uh that are inside the movie it's got exceptional visuals a mesmerizing score and you will walk away changed in some way whether for the better 
or for the worse, I absolutely believe that this is a movie that will change you. Yeah, 100%. I think that was a fantastic summary. So well done. I'm going to mirror quite a bit of that. I think going into this film, I was really worried it was going to be very insufferable. I was fully expecting not to like the film, partially because I don't care for too many of the DC films, and also because Todd Filler, as a filmmaker, I don't really care for him. Sorry, Todd Phillips. And I also thought he made some pretty bad comments in the lead up to this film that kind of just rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, (laughs) Very tone deaf, kind of assholey and obtuse. But Mm -hmm. so, you know, I wasn't totally primed to like this film. And normally when I go into a film not expecting to like it, I end up not liking it. But I actually really enjoyed this movie and I was very impressed by it. I was blown away by how confident it is and how precise the filmmaking is. It's really just beautifully sharp and very well-crafted it's easily the most well-made DC film, you know, probably since The Dark Knight. Um, it knows exactly what it wants to be. And unlike a lot of films this year, which have maybe it's just because I'm doing this podcast now, I see it more often. But the film is not remotely choppy. Everything about it flows. The mm-hmm. editing of the film feels like like we're not missing scenes. Everything that's in the movie feels like it's supposed to be in the movie and nothing else. And that was definitely something that i really enjoyed about the film everything else yeah i completely agree with you i do have a couple small you know some things that i think didn't work obviously it's you know it's not a perfect film or anything but for a film that i was really not looking forward to seeing and i felt like i kind of had to see i'm very impressed by what we got that is so refreshing to hear because i feel like with some folks who tend to make their minds up about a movie before they see it, they will tend to lean into the way that their mind was made up. Even when they come out, like it'll, it'll, that means that the film has to do something that much greater to win you over. And I think it's fair. Um, I think it's ignorant for me, even me as a film critic to say that, Oh, you know, everything has to be objective. No, we're human. And I think we have biases. We have, you know, uh, prejudices. Um, It's easier for me then it could be for someone else to check that at the door. Um, I know that when it comes to like movies about dogs, I don't care to watch those movies because they don't have to work that hard to win me over. Like <laughs> who's going to do a bad dog movie? So, you know, like the, a dog's purpose or a dog's wish or any of the five dog movies that come out this year. Did I see them? Nah, because I knew for a fact that it could be probably objectively bad and it's still gonna be a good dog movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> It's, it is so great to say that you were not looking forward to this. And then even knowing that you're not a big fan of the DC films and this film resonated with you in a way that you can say, you know what? I walked away super impressed because I say, man, the noise on this. And I think that's the part that's like the most draining is like all the outside noise. I, yeah. I mean, I've been taking notes on stuff like since I've watched the movie and I literally had somebody said, that said that the movie has nothing to say. And then I got to ask myself, like, yo, are we watching the same movie? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, ah, it, it, it is tough. Thank, thank you very much for, 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 for just for, for allowing the film to be able to win you over. I think some people can be like super just like, I'm going to harden my heart and I'm not going <laughs> to. Yeah, I've certainly been there uh, where I just kind of go into a movie very negative and then it's mm-hmm. not fair for the movie. And mm-hmm. I did my best to check that at the door. And, you know, like you said, we're all human. So. I did have some sort of, uh, you know, hesitancy to enjoy this yeah. movie, but that just speaks more volume to the film. I think that I, I'm pretty sure I could go in and see this movie. And if I was very, very, um, what's the word, like cynical about it, I could mm-hmm. probably 
tear this movie apart and be very annoyed by a lot of the decisions. But I think that this movie, more than a lot of the other DCU films, does a great job at not at having a purpose for everything that's in the movie. So it's not just edgy for the sake of edginess. It's not, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not overindulgent in its weirdness. There's a little bit of that, you know, Uh there's a little bit of pretension in the film. And I think those are like artistic choices. And like what you said with the editing, everything that we ended up seeing, it feels very intentional. Yeah. Um, And I feel like I have a, a nice bullshit meter just to be able to see, huh, that was a little exercise of exhibitionism. Did we really have to do that? Um, and I think even in, in my mind, hearing some of the commentary from critics who got a chance to watch this movie before general audiences, mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, yo, this is about to be two hours of just like insane violence and disturbing imagery. And I got to be honest with you, there wasn't a lot there. Yeah, I agree. I was pretty surprised by how reserved the film was for most yes. of the film. Yeah. Um and when it needed to be violent, I really thought that there was a reason behind it. Right. And it didn't, it did not, it didn't seem self-indulgent. Like, you know, um, it's, it's in my mind and as an actor, I'm going to really, um, have Joaquin's performance. I mean, it's, it's, he's in almost every frame of the entire film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes a stellar performance and an incredible actor to be able to carry a movie with so much weight on it. And it's a testament to him. It's a te- I got to tell you, this is the most ballsiest. I cannot imagine as meddlesome as Warner Brothers has been in like my entire lifetime, how they allowed. Like when I heard people say that, I don't know how Warner Brothers made a film like this. It sounded so pompous, like, oh, shut up. How did Warner Yeah. <laughs> but now I'm like, no. How did Warner Brothers, the Warner Brothers that we know (laughs) that did Justice League, how did they allow this film to come out? Because it seems like such a freedom that Todd Phillips and Joaquin had to construct this. And and the thing is, is that, you know, for is it an origin story of a character who doesn't have an origin? Well, in the comics, you know, Alan Moore did come up with an origin, you know, so that we do have, we do, we do have the killing joke and, you know, we have an idea of what is the yin or what is the yang to Batman's yin. Um, and it's so crazy how much like this world makes so much sense, honestly, to every Batman movie that I've seen. Mm -hmm. I can blink and say, great. I'm excited that 20 years Batman begins, begins. Like in my mind, what happened in this movie, Okay, I can literally blink and say, cool. All right. Christian Bale is about to pop up out, you know, out of nowhere. And it's just going to happen. Like it, it's, it, it really, I'm really surprised at how much of a DC movie it still feels like to me. Okay. So that was going to be one of my other questions. We can hop into that now. Great segue. Cause I mean, since, you know, when Joker came about in 1940, he's always been intrinsically tied to Batman yeah. and Almost all of Joker's origin stories are due to Batman. So, you know, I think looking at this film, if this was your first introduction to Joker, I wouldn't blame you for not knowing that Joker is kind of the Batman villain. It's not something that you really get from this film. And I think one of my main concerns going into the film was, could a Joker film work without Batman? You know, I mean, we saw Venom worked with air quotes uh, (laughs) without Spider-Man, but this one... I was a little concerned that it was going to feel like a lot of the other stuff that tries to do Batman without Batman, Gotham. where it was just kind of <laughs> yep, referencing yeah. something that they didn't have rights to. Yeah. So 
uh, do you think that this film works? I mean, I mean, I guess you did say that. That you, you, Do you agree that this works as a film about the comic book character Joker as opposed to just a man named Arthur Fleck? Yeah, and I think, you know, so I'm born in 86. I'm an 80s baby, but I'm very much a 90s kid. Um, and that, obviously, I got Batman in 1989. I probably, the first time I remember watching it was on VHS and like, when I was five years old. And I remember Jack Napier being Joker and having that origin that was presented to us by Tim Burton being that. And then I got into the comics and understanding like, wow, there's been so many other re, re, you know, reiterations of Joker. Mm-hmm. This is just a reiteration. This is just another interpretation of the character. It doesn't invalidate anything that came before it. It's just another interpretation. And this film, the aesthetic being the late seventies, early eighties, this is very much a pot boiler for Gotham. And we have to understand Gotham itself is a character. And it's a seedy, almost, I don't say it's war-torn, but it's definitely societally torn based on class and a lot of other things. And we get that. And we have to, like, be able to accept that Bruce comes from a world of privilege and it takes a while. It takes takes his his change and the unfortunate events to happen to him in order to set him on his path. But we have to understand where those events come from. And then we get we actually get an opportunity to see that. That Gotham was starving for this anarchy. They were starving mm-hmm. for something to come and break the wheel. And the Joker ended up becoming a symbol which he never set out to be. And I thought it was unique that throughout the entire film, Arthur Flecken is having this transformation. And it just so happens to take place at the same time as where Gotham is like being torn apart politically um, mm-hmm. and socially. So it it, it it feels like it, it's just it's everything that we've always needed. Like it's 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 like a super long prologue to a Batman movie. This is the thing that Gotham should have been, basically. Oh, exactly. <laughs> like the TV show. It yes. does everything that Gotham wants to do, but in about two hours, which is great. <laughs> As opposed to five <laughs> kind of uneven seasons. <laughs> I, I could not get past halfway through season one, man. I, yeah, I there mean, was a balloon episode and I was like, I'm, I'm done. It looks good. I have it. I have no idea, and I guess we'll tangentially for a second. I like the I, I was okay with the you know with the idea of Gotham. You know, um, oh great, we got Commissioner Gordon. I knew what they wanted it to be. I never understood what the like is it contemporary? Like because they have like so it's really weird. I have no idea what mm-hmm. year that story takes place. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but we we have to understand that there's so many elements to Gotham that takes place before Bruce Wayne, and I have no problem spending a little bit of time. You know, like I can set aside that it seems like for what I'm here for a lot of folks is that there is this need to have balance. Well, I don't want to see a dark movie without some light. Well, I mean, right. I don't need somebody in the cape to bring that light to me. Um, I don't think that we live in a world full of blacks and whites. We're all a little bit of shades of gray. And I, I don't I never sided with the argument that, oh, I don't want to see Joker as human. Well, he is, you know, right. he wasn't born like he's not a spawn of Satan that just like, you know, you know came about through a crack from hell like no he is a man that had things happen to him and he chose the wrong path and batman things happen to him he chose an alternative path that is on the side of right and if we refuse to believe that things like that happen in this world or in a fictitious world like what are we doing we gotta we gotta be responsible as an audience like we gotta be a responsible audience you know to say you know what Maybe we're the light that we need to see, uh, that we could be able to watch this movie and just see the underbelly of Gotham rise up. And like, it was so funny. I th- I was hearing on another podcast and it made total sense. 
like we watched the Batman cartoon and read the comics. Like, how does a Joker get all these bad guys? Because he doesn't necessarily like rob for money. He has people who believe in him. And in this movie, mm-hmm. you kind of see why. And it's wrong. Right. It doesn't. I, I, I promise you, this film does not pacify to make it seem like the things that happens in this movie are right. But we got to understand that there's some people that don't always think that way. Yeah. Have you seen The King of Comedy or Taxi Driver? Those are kind of the Martin Scorsese films that inspire this film. I've seen clips of each of them, but never myself all the way through. I've got a really bad blind spot for films before 1985. I'm working on that. Yeah, my blind spot is like before 1995 or something. (laughs) I made a point to see, I saw Taxi Driver on Tuesday and then The King of Comedy on Wednesday because I knew that this was inspiration for this film. And I would say that this is, you know, I would say that The King of Comedy and Taxi Driver are inspiration to Joker the same way that the Lion King remake gets inspiration from the original Lion King. Um, (laughs) They are very, very similar films Uh, down to the setting. You know, obviously Gotham is a stand in for New York. The King of Comedy is really about a comedian who's obsessed with a television host and dreams of being on his show. And he you know, pretends to be interviewed by him in a hallucination. Does that sound familiar to you? (laughs) Um, There are like scenes ripped straight out of those movies, everything down to casting Robert De Niro in this as Mm -hmm. the talk show host or whatever he is. Can't remember his name. I found that particularly, I I don't know if jarring is the right word, but very interesting Mm -hmm. that it was clear that Todd Phillips wanted to make a movie like that, but he had, he wanted to use Joker as kind of a way to, present it to an audience that may not have otherwise been super interested. But even the existence of this film doesn't necessarily say that, hey, this is the origin story for all Jokers, for example. I mean, this is clearly not the same Joker as, what is his name? Oh, Heath Ledger's yeah, Joker. Yeah, Heath Ledger's, not, you know, George Romero's, not, you know, Jack Nicholson's, not even Jared Leto's. It's <laughs> Right. Right. And... I think that's pretty interesting is that it can still feel like the character, but it's not such a departure that it doesn't feel genuine to the character. Mm -hmm. But I also think that that's not really the goal of this film at all to be like a Joker origin story. It is first and foremost, just a character study. And then very distantly, it's a Joker origin film. I mean, he doesn't become Joker till late in the third act of the film where even, even recognizing the moniker. And and I, and I think, that 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 choice was really unique. I didn't even catch it. Like, it's a clip that's inside the trailer, so we're not like going to spoil it. But when he, when he adds, it's in the second trailer, it says, "Can you call me Joker when you come out?" And in the trailer, I was like, "Well, that seems kind of cheesy," but in the film, it yeah. made so much sense with the context that he said. And because Robert De Niro's character Murray said, "Well, why? Well, you call me that in your video," and I was like, "Oh, well, duh, it's right there." Like, and it, and I, I just I found it very honest. And when I can see in the script and in the direction, honest actions from honest characters, that's the type of things that resonates for me. It doesn't feel cheap in any way. There was nothing really in this film that felt cheap to me. No, I completely agree, which is like a complete 180 for me, at least after uh, Justice League, even something like Wonder Woman and when Aquaman, which were generally more well reviewed, there was some sort of 
cheap or cheesy quality to it that it, it was sort of like using the idea that they were comic book movies to kind of pass off some stuff and just kind of hand wave yeah. some of the more goofy stuff. Mm -hmm. And this film does not do that. And obviously not every film needs to be gritty yeah. uh, or dark or anything like that. But for this character and for this film, I was really impressed by just how particular everything was. Yeah. That being said, before we jump into spoilers, I will say there was a couple things that I wasn't super keen on, especially after watching Scorsese's King of Comedy mm -hmm. and Taxi Driver. This film is certainly not subtle <laughs> in anything that it does. You know, I, I think one of the things I like the most about King of Comedy is that De Niro's character, he ends up doing some pretty bad things. He's crazy. It's obsessed, very similar to Joker, but his backstory is kept very vague. Mm -hmm. So... There are hints of what happened to this man, what pushed him to this kind of point of obsession and need for validation of others and everything like that. But it's never explicitly said. And I found not necessarily a negative, but I found it a little jarring to be like, oh, wow. OK, so this is the Joker's backstory. It is explicitly telling us what's going on. Yeah. There's some storytelling tricks mm -hmm. that we'll get into in the spoilers that could have been more subtle, mm -hmm. like they were kind of holding the hands of the audience. Yeah. <laughs> things like that. But uh that's not really, you know, any, it does not remotely take away from the film yeah. or anything like that. It's just one of those things that I definitely noticed. Mm -hmm. And I mean, maybe that's just because, you know, nobody does Scorsese like Scorsese. True. So if you're going to mimic Scorsese, you have to be prepared to be yeah. a little worse than Scorsese, <laughs> you know? I was enjoying my ride all the way throughout. Um, and the parts where it got bumpy, that's really, if I'm searching to pick a nit, and it's only from a standpoint like, oh, man, I really wish you would have like played that a little bit closer to the vest. And um, you are right. The film gets very blunt in its third act. Very blunt. Um, yeah. And I think once we kind of get through it in spoilers, it's going to be like, OK, listen, this is a stop sign moment. And let's put up a mirror and reflect on some things. And I think that was the moment where it's the most that Todd Phillips, I think, is talking directly at us. That's where I felt yeah. as an audience member that, okay, this is the talk that we need to have. This is like, you know, where rubber meets the road. And then that's where it really goes. It really gets crazy. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's unique. I, 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 but I, I absolutely love, love this movie. It is fantastic. Great. Yeah. I, I do think also another surprising thing about this is that the film is a bit repetitive in yeah. that mm -hmm. there's a lot of watching Joker get treated like crap, mm -hmm. and then he kind of acts a little mentally unstable. He does some interpretive dance, rinse and repeat. But what I found so surprising about the movie is that I'm usually very prone to kind of get bored of the same thing over and over again. I think that was one of my major mm -hmm. critiques of It Chapter 2, for example. Yeah. But in this, you stay surprisingly engaged despite the film being pretty repetitive. And I think that's one because of, you know, Joaquin Phoenix's performance. That's perform it anchors you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's funny because like Joaquin Phoenix is both the most interesting thing about this film and also like the one that I feel the least compelled to talk about because it's not surprising that Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix is good in a movie. Water, like, water is, is wet. wet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I think the other thing that you pointed out is that this score is just excellent. I wish I could get her name right. I it's I've been I literally listened to it several times a day because it is hypnotic. The strings, yes. the pronounced bass, like it feels like a a ballet is playing out in front of us, um, and it's playing out in Arthur's head. 
which is really, mm-hmm. really unique. And I just I, I want to listen to more interviews of, you know, what was Joaquin's like, what was his motivations? What was he allowing his character to do um, to kind of like go through that transformation? I found it gorgeous. Yeah, I think that anybody who is looking at this film as if it's like glorifying some sort of behavior or anything like that really needs to listen to the score again because the score very clearly tells you that this is a lot more serious and terrifying than praiseworthy or anything like that i thought that the score did a very good job at cueing how you were supposed to be interpreting various events Mm -hmm. it cues you up like it's 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 i've heard people say this i i don't know if i'm 100 percent on board but i can see it it's it's a it's a horror movie yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it certainly has horror elements and Joaquin Phoenix does some body contortiony kind of stuff. His physical transformation is sick. I mean, if you think of what Christian Bale did in The Machinist, like this is akin to that. Yeah. But I mean, other than Joaquin Phoenix, I think everybody else is really great They're in the solid. film. Robert De Niro. Yeah. yeah, he's fantastic. Zazie Beetz, Brian Tyree, you know, Tyree Henry, um, uh, Flor- I was it? Florence, um, oh goodness gracious, uh, she played Penny, uh, Arthur's mom, like, and, and I, Barney's mom from How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, like they're yeah. not asked to do anything more than be and to be a small piece of support for Joaquin. So, right. I, you know, I don't think that they did like exemplary. Like, oh my God, they blew me away. You know, at the time they had, but it wasn't about them. Like, this is about Arthur and Joker. That's it. I do feel like for the bit role that Brian Tyree Henry had, first off. I mean, the fact that an actor of that caliber is playing like clerk number one <laughs> or something is crazy, but he had such a small role and I was just, I was kind of blown away by how much he was able to do with so little. Yeah. His presence is great. Like it's just, yeah. It, oh man. And, it, and it's good because you don't have too many times where Joaquin is playing off of someone else. So mm-hmm. it was great to have that interaction. Yeah. And I feel like every time that he actually is with someone else. That's where the movie gets even creepier. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's nuts. Can you summarize this film just really quickly, give a rating out of 10, and then we'll move on to spoilers? Yeah. So, yeah, once again, it's a satisfying character study that works on a number of levels. Um, It's equally terrifying and transformative by Joaquin's performance, along with, my opinion, Todd Phillips' direction. Um, It's a think piece. It's a commentary on society. Um, it sounds amazing. It looks gorgeous and it will undoubtedly give you whatever you came in looking for. Um, if you want to love this film, you're going to love it. If you want to hate this film, you're probably going to hate it. Uh, but it's undeniable that it's going to leave you amazed in a number of ways. And it's going to be a movie to talk about. And I rate this a nine out of 10. That's fantastic. I'm just curious how many you know, roughly how many nine out of tens have you given this year? This year, um, I've, I've been, I want to say generous, um, but on the Kobe told me scale, a nine out of 10 is an excellent film. Um, just a notch below a perfect movie. I've only given one 10 out of 10 nines. I think I'm a, I think I'm about like about six. Okay. And I think offhand I've got, um, midsummer. I've got, um, once about a time in Hollywood. Uh, I also have toy story four, and the farewell okay great there we go great well i'll just mirror that really quickly i I think that this film is excellent it's really refreshing to see a film that is so confident and so clearly a complete uh idea and a complete kind of creation from its creators i really enjoyed that i don't think that 
everything works perfectly, but of course, no film is like that. So do your best to not get swept up in the hype. But also, if you want to love this film, you definitely will love this film. It's got a great performance. Again, it's got a great score. It. I'm just saying the same thing Colby said, so I'll just <laughs> end it at that. It's it's a very good film, and I think it's one that if you have the stomach for it, it's definitely worth watching and definitely worth discussing. So I'm going to give this one an 8.5 out of 10. I Very good. So With that, let's move on to spoilers. I'll say spoilers for Joker starting now. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. So the main, oh, not the main spoiler, but the first thing I want to talk to you about is that reveal that uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Zazie Beetz's relationship Mm -hmm. is completely in his head. Yeah. Um, Did you think it was? When he started walking into the apartment, I was like, oh, what if all of that is made up? Mm -hmm. Because I realized that, because for a while I was like, all right, something's wrong with Zazie Beetz's character Mm -hmm. that she doesn't think this dude is a total weirdo. Like. She's letting him around her kid, and she thinks that that comedy performance is good. Mm-hmm. Like, no, that that can't be quite right. Something's off with this woman, yeah. or it's just a really weird uh, direction mm-hmm. that they're taking this. And then as he was going into the apartment, I was like, ah, okay, mm-hmm. makes sense. This is this is definitely did, was all in his head. Yeah. Did you see it coming? I did not, which I think that's why it worked for me. Maybe I'm just very endearing and I want to see the good in the one person because there's not a very – there's not a lot of likable characters in this film right. um, or just honestly just good people to Arthur in this movie. So I wanted to believe that there was one person even if it's the most you know unbelievable part that they had this interaction which and, – and this is that you know that kind of uh, – you, you hear this a lot, the, the untrustworthy narrator, right? So in the film, right. for what we see, we see their first interaction inside of an elevator, and that seems very honest and very straightforward. He's socially awkward. You know, She is dealing with the stress of her day and takes her fingers up to blow her head out. And it's just in jest, right? He doesn't, he, he doesn't do it till they leave the elevator, stops her. And then does it in a way that is very cringeworthy, right? And creepy. <laughs> very much so. And that would turn so many people off. But she kind yeah. of just, you know, because number one, like if, if that's a neighbor, you kind of know like, okay, I'm going to be nice. That's a neighbor. That's a weird guy from down the hall. Mm-hmm. So there's a part of me that thought, okay, it was fine. And then even when he follows her to work and she comes up and knocks at the door and says, yo, was that you? I'm like, oh my gosh, what is about to happen? And she was kind of cool with it. I really did believe that, okay, she's got a little thing for this guy. I don't know what this, what's his secret sauce. Right. Whatever he's <laughs> got, she likes. And as the events, as the, as the events unfold and he finds more agency in himself and confidence, I mean, when he opens up her door and lays a big wet one on her, you're like, whoa. This guy, he's he's feeling himself right now. And I really even <laughs> bought it then. I, I, really, I, I did. And I'm like, okay. And even though it 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 because uh, I'm trying to remember the, the score at that time, it 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 like heightened. So I'm like, this could be like this kind of fever dream or something, right? Mm-hmm. But I honestly was so hooked, I rolled with it. So when it happened and she opens up the door and he's thinking, I thought, oh, she's gonna try to console him, but then she says. Arthur, what are you doing in my apartment? 
And then that's when I got oh, snap. <laughs> well, she doesn't even say, she's like, what are you doing in here? Your name's Arthur, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah what so, so she, so yeah. What are you doing in here? Because if they've had a, like a consensual relationship or whatever, what are you doing here, Arthur? Oh, what are you doing here right now? I don't know that you're here, right? Yeah. Your name's Arthur, right? You're like, oh, snap. Now, I think we're both on the same page. I did not need the. Yes, the flashback. Now, and I'm wondering if that was a studio imperative to say, hey, listen, there's some people that may not be able to get from that line. I mean, it, we both got it. So personally, I would have loved to not have the memento or any of those type of films like, you know, yeah, like, the Fight insert, Club yeah, Fight Club, like the insert of like, oh, it was never there. And honestly, I if you're going to do that, I want it telegraphed in a way where, oh, that makes sense. But there was things that were done from what we saw on screen where – it, that was just like it was. It was too easy. I, I really wish that there would have been something where, like, oh, she wasn't really there. Like, I, you know, like if yeah. there was somebody who was who came. Like, if if what we saw the events earlier, someone was talking at what we think is talking at the both of them, but he mm -hmm. was. They were very much only talking to them, and like we could almost kind of see that something was off. So I don't like that it was very cookie cutter. I would have just not had that done at all. But like what you said earlier, it didn't detract from me. No, yeah, it was just sort of. I think you said like you didn't see it coming or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I I didn't necessarily see it coming, but especially the scene where he like lays one on her mm -hmm. in the clown makeup, I yeah. was like, oh, that's definitely not real because that's something that happens in the King of Comedy quite often. Oh, it does. Okay, is that yeah? There's a lot of you know him hallucinating certain things or like thinking you know, like fantasizing about being on the show and does stuff. Does the camera work or something in like in camera change when that happens? Like, does, is there a different color effect or? Not that I noticed. Okay. I'm not, I'm not totally sure, but I was definitely like primed for that to happen. So especially because of that, I thought that the, them belaboring how they're like holding your hand mm -hmm. through a reveal was pretty annoying. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it takes like a couple of minutes to get through. You're like, oh, come on. All right. Yeah, we got it. We got it. Like, she yeah, I get it. She wasn't there here. She wasn't there there. She wasn't there. Um, what do you think happened after that scene? Oh, do you think like maybe he did something like killed her or something? Because we always see is just him walking out. I didn't even think of that. That's really interesting. In my I, my heart, I want I want her to have been the one person that just knew that he was just a weird guy from across the hall. And Kind of like the the grace that he extended to I forget the little person's name him in his apartment. Yeah, uh, I can't remember his name, but I know who you're talking about one of his coworkers. Yeah, I was hoping that we he would have extended that same grace as like he like because at that point the the violence that he's committed, like I mentioned earlier in in non spoilers, seems very intentional and with reason. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, even if it's still bad. So I was I was really hoping that he didn't cross that line yet. Yeah, that's interesting because we don't see her for the rest of the film now that I think about it. That's that's harrowing, it's, man. Damn. Yeah, right? Like it's uh, – Wow. <laughs> I mean I've heard people say like, oh, yeah, he definitely – but I'm like if he did, it would have in, in the same way in the, you know, the last frames of the movie. We see him right. leave another room and what do we see on his feet? Blood on his feet. Yeah. yeah so – do you let's let's talk a little bit about that very last scene and okay. then we can kind of circle back to the third act oh, yeah. since, since we're here. Um, what do you think that final thing means? Do you think that means that this any of this happened at all and he was all just having a hallucination? I, you know what? I feel like there's still a lot of ambiguity throughout a lot of the film because it's mm -hmm. almost as if like where we ended is where 
his story began. And I wonder if it would have been a unique filmmaking element to employ that this narration that we have, well, it's not really narration that we have throughout the film is that if he's the, the narrator, like this story, he's been talking to this, you know, psychiatrist the entire time. And right. some people can either like it or not. All he has to say is, I think that's how I remember things. And I think it could pacify most of the movie for people who think this movie is unnecessary, right? Right. Who don't want a full ex- – I don't want to know what the Joker came from. Um, to, so he could really be the you know, the untrustworthy narrator. I don't think that there was mm-hmm. enough to really say that he was an untrusty narrator at that point. And ultimately, I think one of the lines is you – know, I was thinking of something um, of a joke, but I don't think you get it. <laughs> and then he walks out. I mean obviously we see blood on his feet. So I think at that point – we are led to believe that now, because in my opinion, well, no, if, if we believe that he has killed the psychiatrist, that's the first person that he has killed in this movie without reason behind it. Right. So that's maybe that's the ultimate. Yes. Kind of the last step to his insanity that now he's just killing for the sake of killing. Yeah. And then just kind of runs out. And and I, I will say, you know, obviously we don't know what happens. Does he get out? I mean, if you're a fan of Batman, you know that the Joker breaks out of Arkham Asylum a lot. Yep. That's <laughs> like, like his thing. That's his thing. He breaks out a lot. So it makes plenty of sense that he breaks out. Um, so anybody who's coming for this film just like, oh, he even gets away. Yeah, he does it a lot. <laughs> this isn't the first time. Okay. <laughs> so, but I, 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 I liked it. Um, I love the score. I'm not always in love with the music choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of them are like, ah, you know, um, but this this very much has a lot of like that 50s, you know, Frank Sinatra, Fred Astaire, flair to it. So the, but it was I, I I I like that we ended there and I love that it's not totally 100% clear on where it goes further. Well, so do you think that there's any ambiguity to whether the events of the film actually happen or it's just kind of in his head and he's telling some crazy story? I need to watch this again. And I'm going to pay even closer attention to the actual lines in that last scene. There wasn't enough that I discern that led me to believe that it was all in his head. There would have to there would have to be like another line or two that would have you know been um, – that would have been said that would make me think, oh yeah, this is definitely all made up. Um, and I don't know if that would change the way how I feel about the movie, honestly. Because I think that Arthur throughout the entire film is very clear in, in what how he interprets the world and how he feels. And because I believe that and I found out very honest, I don't know if his spiral into this you know criminal insanity would then make everything he says not. Because everything he, he says up to that point is very intentional. And he means it. Um, And I don't know if there was enough there throughout the rest of the film that would then lead me to believe that, oh, that wasn't the case. Um, Because he's aware of his mental illness. He's very much aware of it, Um, which is really unique for a lot of people that we see battling with that. They're unsure of it, but he's very sure. And a lot of things, and there wasn't things like telegraphed on screen that maybe like, oh man, I wish I remembered, you know, like where did I work at the other day? What's your name again? And I didn't see that. So because it still wasn't even clear in that last scene, I'm going to say no. I, I do not believe that the events that happened before were in his head. Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's very interesting that they ended on a point of ambiguity. And it's probably and, you know, I mean, it, the the very last scene of him kind of walking or running through the white hallways is kind of out of focus and everything. Yeah. So I think it's certainly meant to make you feel confused and unfocused. I think if you wanted to be a little cynical about it, you could say that this is an ending that where DC can use it to decide whether this film is in their cinematic universe or not Mm -hmm. so maybe this at the very end he's in an asylum and it's actually 2010 and he'll be in the robert patterson movie batman movie i don't oh my god i didn't even think of that you know like it could be a way for them to kind of retcon this into the cinematic universe in a way that's like oh that was all just a story that was kind of true but not really true and everything like that Oh my gosh. I didn't, I didn't even think of like the actual, <laughs> because that's the biggest thing. Well, as much as I love this Joker, I didn't think that this Joker can exist in any other story itself because of right. what I perceive in the time is. But if he himself is taking liberties with the time and just, I mean, there's some people like when they dream, they dream 30 years in the past. So the, mm-hmm. the, this entire time, and maybe it's something cause like he watched the show on reruns as a kid. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. And I, the thing is, is that, if Joaquin would ever, 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 ever agree to do a sequel, then yeah, it's a, it's a very simple way to write that in. And everything that you've done up until this point, you can use it because we understand that the Joker is crazy. Crazy people do whatever they want. They can say whatever they want. They can think whatever they want. And all you have to do is at the beginning of whatever film that you add this character in, start from right there, you know, and it could just be him talking. Like, I, I think I remember something like that. And he could just walk out and contemporary now. And it was just like mm-hmm. all in his head. Like it absolutely can work. Like that's the agency that you have with using this type of character is that there is no definitive answer. And um, while this is an origin story, this is not like without thinking of that time part, I didn't even think that this would be the origin to go up against Joker. Cause you know, if, if you're familiar with the comics, there's the red hood gang. And a lot of people believe that the Joker used to be in the red hood, in the red hood gang. So this could be this Joker that inspires the Red Hood gang down the line because you can see there's a lot right. of people that – and we'll, we'll get to this – you know, who – in almost a Jesus-like figure raise up the Joker um, as this symbol for, for, for chaos and anarchy, right? And it can inspire the actual Joker who will be coming up and coming and going against Robert Pattinson and stuff like that. So, man, I did not think about the whole time part. Yeah, I, I mean, I may be like overly analyzing this. The woman who interviews him mm-hmm. seems to be dressed in attire that is not like restricted to 1970s. Um, I may need to rewatch it again, but mm-hmm. she seemed like she was in, you know, something that she could be wearing in the 21st century and it right. wouldn't be unbelievable. Like she's certainly not in like, you know, a pantsuit or whatever, like is common in the 1970s. So I could see them using uh, that as a way to mess around with the timeline. Because if I compare that woman to his caseworker, there is, in my mind, now thinking about it, there's a distinctive difference in the way that they were styled. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Right? So (laughs) something something I'm playing with. um, We'll see. I, I mean, it's all very likely that, you know... We're overanalyzing this, and it's just a one-off movie. I th- but I think that's the whole point. They want us to overanalyze it. This is yeah. so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing, of course, then, is also that the end of Taxi Driver ends in a similar-ish way where he kind of fantasizes about – basically, he. Do- I'll keep it vague-ish, but mm-hmm. he, he does something that could be perceived as heroic but also could be perceived as – 
psychopathic and it's very clearly psychopathic, but he kind of fantasizes like a reality where he is lauded as a hero for his actions. And it's very similar to this in how Joker is kind of, you know, hoisted on like, like a Jesus like figure and everything. So it's very possible that all of that could be in his head. And he just goes straight from like, nobody actually crashes the, the police car. He ends up just getting taken to the asylum and he's like hallucinating that fantasy of being this hero mm-hmm. of a character and, and that honestly could still all have been in his head there's nothing that's concrete except what we see um because it, yeah. it is very almost like fantastical how everything has come across i mean because even in his interview with murray and i'm pretty sure we'll get there murray asked him straight up is this a political statement he says no and it, it's honestly it's like arthur's unaware he he knows that there's civil unrest but he's unaware of like his transformation kind of coming up at the exact same time. So he's never doing yeah. this because of that. And it just, yeah, so he doesn't happens, care. He really, he does not care. Um, except when he starts kind of, and, and, and this is a point where I, I, I detached a little bit when he finally had his, his Joker moment inside of that, um, inside of Murray's talk show um, where mm-hmm. he's very much, bringing a mirror to society and like talking at Murray and that entire back and forth between Robert De Niro and Joaquin Phoenix on screen. Um, but other than that, like I, yeah, it's moving. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about those final moments then, or kind of the third act in general. I think the first two acts are, I, I think you mentioned this in your summary, very slow burn, not a lot of action. There's like one or two hyper-violent things, but then the end is where everything kind of crescendos mm-hmm. and it's the most, superhero superhero-y part of the entire film mm-hmm. did you I, you just mentioned a little bit that you lost it a little what was your kind of overall thoughts on that final i lost a little bit only because as i'm interpreting arthur this entire time this transformation we're enjoying it at the same time that he's experiencing it and he's he is not like the jokers anybody were to just describe him prior to watching this movie he's a criminal mastermind there's some times mm-hmm. where he even bests Superman in being three steps ahead of him, right? I mean, Superman, Batman, even being you know, <laughs> steps ahead of him. And in this film, he's not there yet. Like this is like – this is pre-Joker. He's trying to understand everything that's happening because in the matter of time that this story has taken place over maybe a few weeks, he has been kicked and kicked and kicked and – Defending himself kills him, man. but then there's almost like this bloodlust and goes after, you know, another one. And then the next time that he kills someone, I believe it's his mom, right? Yeah. yeah. It's his mom. But you, there's – even though it's a bad reason, you see the reasoning behind it. Right. And then he kills a guy who got him fired, you know, and while at that point that could be like this spiral into being crazy, he gives grace to someone who did nothing wrong to him. And I yeah. feel like if he was like a full blown, just like if he was addicted to murder, then he couldn't. <laughs> it's such a great scene how, how Arthur's playing with the with the little person, and like I'm just like, oh no, oh, I, I, in my mind, yeah. I'm thinking the absolute worst thing is gonna happen to this guy. Like it is, it's gonna be. <laughs> 
bad. <laughs> like, I'm like, is he going to pick him up and like throw him out? The- I don't know. I don't know. And then he's like, just leave. He know for a fact he can't get the lock. And I'm just like, oh, my- I'm cringing the entire time. <laughs> and he lets him go. So like, I'm like, okay, he's fully aware. Like he's, he is not crazy where he's unaware of his action. He's in complete control the entire time. And he hasn't demonstrated any type of master plan at work. So when he finally goes for his interview on this show that he's dreamt about for years, he's going – what we see, he's going with an intent to ultimately kill himself. And I don't know right. what set off in him that made that plan deviate. Um, so without seeing that before, like if maybe he, there was something that he was waffling, he seemed very resolute in his plan. So I don't know what happened that it would turn from him – to Murray. That that's the part that I was just like, hmm, I wish I would have seen more to that that was a little dishonest there from what I saw. I wonder if it was because of the way that Murray kind of confronted him. I think cuz that's yeah. That w- that was a very interesting kind of dynamic between those two. I I thought it was bizarre, maybe a little unrealistic that he would after admitting to that that somebody would continue talking about it on air like that and i think it's because murray didn't buy it true true okay yeah but still any i mean granted this is the late 70s early 80s so we got to understand that people thought in a very different time this was an age of innocence (laughs) okay (laughs) so but i mean just you know having worked in production studios if there's any perceived threat yes we are going off air and <laughs> we, we need to stop this. We need to stop taping. Um, there's a man who's talking completely crazy to get things under control. But then again, Murray is his own lead. And it, it's uh, he's like, yeah, you know what? Um, I'm going to indulge this. And I'm, it, it, was, it was like Murray was the – he was the opposition. He's the first person that is telling Arthur what he's doing is wrong. His line of yeah. thinking is wrong. And it's the first time we've had anybody in this entire film say – you are wrong. The way that you think is wrong. You being you is wrong. Um, and I think maybe that's what sets him off. But it was a it was a sharp left turn for me with you know with Arthur's character. Is there not a line where he says, "Murray, you're just like them. You're just like everybody else." I, th- I, th- I think that, I think there could be because I mean you know Murray is held up to a, a very high pedestal um, in Arthur's mind. And man, I swear the entire time where he's 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 trying to prepare for how he's going to talk to Murray and stuff like that, and he times out the walkout and everything, and like yeah. it is it is so good. But yeah, I, I think I think the more that they were going back and forth, we're seeing a change in in Arthur's plan, and it gets to a point where it riles him up so much, and we've never seen Arthur like uncontrol not physically he's had a physical lack of control and like exerting out you know frustration but never vocally you know um Mm -hmm. so that was like really really unique and like no you're to blame you're the reason why i'm like this and obviously as the audience were wrong people we as the audience know that he's wrong no one is buying anything that arthur's saying that like right and, and, and granted there may be a i think there's maybe a little shade of truth but we, it, it's yes, we know better people. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it was, it was, it was unique, and I did not think that that was going to happen. And maybe because I didn't see um, King of Comedy, so does that does that happen in King of Comedy? Does which which is what happened? Does does ultimately does the talk show host end up getting killed? Um, nobody's kidnapped. Oh, he's kidnapped. So okay. 
Yeah. Well, actually, I would I would be really interested to see what you think about the King of Comedy after watching this. I would I would highly recommend you watching that movie. I thought it was fantastic. But there are things that you're saying that it very much happen in the King of Comedy, like uh, him practicing how he walks out mm-hmm. and introduces himself and stuff. So, so um, I think it'd be a really interesting experiment for you okay. to 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 watch it and then go oh shit that that's what that was in the joker movie and, marathon homework assignment got it yes <laughs> <laughs> you can come on and we can do a uh, king of comedy podcast oh too. look at that um, all right yeah um what do you think about the kind of the the subtle batman nods or not so subtle batman nods in the latter part of the film maybe i missed them um I mean, I mean, I suppose not not subtle Batman nods, but the fact that Bruce Wayne is in this film, um, Thomas Wayne is in this film. Oh, and getting the the proverbial uh, the the yes. pearls. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if I needed to see it again. Yep. <laughs> I was like, damn, we're gonna see it again. Um, I think it was. I thought it was cool that it wasn't a direct result of Joker. Um, yeah. Unlike in Batman '89, it's a direct result of Joker. Um, right. But obviously, this can be like a Joker adjacent. I mean, essentially, his actions on live TV, I guess you could, you know, has has fueled, has fanned the flames so much for the civil unrest where there's an all out riot. Um, I thought it was cool. I, w- I really wanted. To, I don't know if you if you remember, but when he's inside of the cop car, I was hoping there was a way that he could stick his head out, <laughs> kind of like how like, he uh, just Heath Ledger, because <laughs> like yeah. you just see it and you see like the flames going on and stuff like that. Um, but but yeah, no, I, I thought it, I thought it was handled delicately, and I think that's what the world building that I loved about it. We have to understand that Batman can exist in this world, just not yet. Right, and this seems like a very real story of Gotham that took place before Batman, and we still had Bruce and. I guess was I mean that I'm pretty sure that was that was Alfred, right? Yeah, the the kind of the angry guy. <laughs> they never really say they don't call him Alfred, but it's like ah, that's Alfred, <laughs> you know. And um, I thought it was a really cool scene, you know, at the front gates, and it could have went a really unique. Way. I mean, the fact when the, I, I think you know some of the rumors was like, oh, he's going to end up being Batman's, uh, you know, Batman's brother or something like that. And I guess technically what they hinted at is that it could be a half brother, but I bought it all. And, um, yeah, so did I, and I gotta be honest with you. I still think that's very ambiguous to right. what's real and what's not, um, with Thomas Wayne and his mom and stuff like that, mainly because of that, what we see in that photograph, Yeah, you know, like even though she was committed to, you know, to, to Arkham Asylum and, you know, Arthur was an orphan. So that's not Penny's kid as like what, you know, what we're led to believe, um, that call that all could have been doctored up. Um, you know, right. by Thomas Wayne. And just the fact that we do see, you know, as he's putting his makeup on, we see that photo that says, um, yeah, keep up that beautiful smile, uh, TW. Like, oh, snap. There was something, there was something real. But then again, let's go. Oh, yeah. TW was Thomas Wayne. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I love how we're, we're having like several of these, oh, oh, moments. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and that's what made me believe, like, yo, that very well could still be, like, he could very well be. And and it makes sense, like, you know, time-wise. It wouldn't make sense in the sense of, like, oh, in in Batman proper timeline, the Joker is, you know, maybe a few years or several years older than Batman. But this doesn't necessarily have to be the Joker that takes on Batman, you know? Um, And that's what I love about the world building, that it has a lot of room to be able to do a lot of really um, unique things. So I love all the Batman nods. I I, I don't know if there was – I guess some people – 
were looking for like other Easter eggs. I didn't see it. I, I have to. I want to watch the movie like two or three more times to like yeah. really kind of look, look, look. Well, I was I was pretty happy that there weren't like an obscene number of references to Batman and they weren't like and then or, you know, talking to to Bruce Wayne and him being like, I'm scared of bats or something. You know? <laughs> that would have been so cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that I really didn't need to see the Waynes killed mm-hmm. again. I really like the idea that Joker is indirectly responsible for responsible for it. But I found the actual thing of seeing them and seeing those damn pearls get ripped off. It just felt so obligatory. And it kind of took me out of the film where I was like, Oh, there's DC. There you go. Um, (laughs) I think it would have been much better if we had seen them exit the, uh, the theater and just walk down the, the alleyway and just cut, cut to black. We didn't need like that extra 40 seconds where we actually got it. Um, Yeah. yeah. But even like, so I've heard people kind of talk about the fact that inside of that psychiatrist scene, we flash back to a, to that visual of Bruce standing there like, oh, I just thought about something. Like he's talking about the joke and maybe like, oh, the joke is that because of him, this happened, oh, you know? Yeah. Um, obviously, how would he know that? But <laughs> it's, it's – unless <laughs> it was all like it is it's, – it's so <laughs> – all right, indulge me in one more kind of crazy okay. conspiracy theory. So we know that the reason that Batman – turn becomes batman is or the reason that he chooses the bat is because he has that traumatic experience and he's terrified of bats or whatever right so in this now though he saw his parents get killed by a clown would he maybe turn into somebody who gets kind of obsessed with clowns and turns into some version of the joker Hmm. well i mean like those elseworld stories exist i mean you know, even, you know, in, inside of, um, I think it's what Flashpoint. Uh, yeah, Flashpoint Paradox, where his mother becomes Joker, which I find, right. like, I, I found that to be awesome. Um, and nobody really, like, lost their minds about that. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> it's, it's like, no one lost their <laughs> So I, yeah. will WB ever release a feature-length cinematic film <laughs> for the world to see where Bruce Wayne becomes Joker and someone else rises to become Batman? No, Um, but I think it is it is very interesting. But that also could be just like that instinctive disdain for Joker for what he represents, Um, knowing that that image would never be you know removed from him. Um, He saw a clown murder his parents, and the person who's wreaking all this havoc is a clown. Um, And then maybe as he's you know he's the world's greatest detective uncovering like he actually was the person and i think this makes it very real that you know in all the as long as i've known of batman he's the greatest detective but has never really like set out to really understand who the joker is and where he came from and i feel like he does that with so many other villains why not joker that this makes it a very grounded realization that this could be something that he looks to uncover inside of a trilogy of films you know and yeah you know and i and i think that could be really strong um for where tom re you know um Excuse me, Matt Reeves is going to take uh, you know this new uh, Joker into, and I, and I got to be honest with you, I really I have no idea what this you know Matt Reeves trilogy um, rumored is like, what the timeline is, like you know, is it going to be set in contemporary now? Is it going to be set in the '80s, the '90s? Who knows? But um, an interesting fan theory, one that I don't buy. Yeah, I mean. I, I don't think that it's at all going to be true, but I, I do like the idea of thinking how Batman's origin story may change due to this whole mm-hmm. uh, clown-infested Gotham. Like, I mean, we—I I guess I haven't seen the original Batman, or mm-hmm. not the original, but the Tim Burton ma- Batman. Is he dressed as the Joker when he kills the parents? No, 
he doesn't become the Joker until I think later in the evening. He's like on the run or something like that. And then he falls into that vat of acid. And that's what warps him. Yeah. So there's never been an exploration of Batman as a direct result of the Joker. It's always usually the other way around mm-hmm. kind of that. Um, so I think that's a really clever way to kind of spin this origin story oh, that absolutely. this is, it's not an origin story for Batman, but you can fantasize and fanfic to hell probably <laughs> uh, what happens to Batman after mm-hmm. he sees his parents killed by a clown. So I guess what we can now talk about just as a wrap up and we don't have to get super into this cause it's a little, you know, <laughs> eye rolly, I guess, but We've we've talked about it throughout. You do you think this film glorifies the toxicity and the violence? Do you think that this is in any way a dangerous film for kind of glorifying violence as a result of being treated poorly by society? I know you can only give your own opinion on the matter and it may differ like your opinion may differ than mine and any other viewer, but I'm curious what you think overall. I gotta be honest with you, I felt like this film was very delicate in the violence that um and the imagery that was on screen. Um, yeah. This was so not what I thought was going to happen um, based off what everybody was talking about. I, I, I'm i kind of seeing like it feels unmatched and there's a push. I think people want this film to be violent, justify that it shouldn't have been made, but there's just not enough there. Um, and there's so much reasoning and intentionality behind the violence that ends up happening. I mean, ultimately, if the Joker was not in this story, you still have a Gotham City that very much seems to look a lot like of our political climate right now, um, mm-hmm. except obviously a lot more heightened because it's happening in a time where I'm from New York and I remember like all those images of New York and there was a lot of civil unrest. And then it wasn't until the late 80s after Reagan and after trying to clean up New York and like the rebeautification of, uh, of Times Square where that kind of died down. But then it spread out to the suburbs. So but like I, I think this film does not glorify violence. It doesn't pacify anything that the Joker does. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. the, 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 the citizens of Gotham throughout all the films have been really emblematic of the time that those films have come out. Um so granted, this is a film that's taking place in the early 80s, but this is a political climate that we're in right now where there is classism, there is you know, racism, there is people, you know, the haves and the have-nots. And Thomas Wayne makes a very foolish you know, on-camera statement <laughs> at, you know, pushing his, uh, his run for mayor and essentially calls these people who are dealing with a lot clowns. And that did not directly talk to Joker. So and, and, and because of that, I don't think that, oh, that's Joker's reasoning. He's combating society. He's not. Nowhere in this film is he combating right. society. This is a very personal transformation he's going through, and it just so ends up having to coincide with this political unrest. Um, but it does not in any way do I believe that it glorifies it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I will say I think in an ideal world, this is a film that is clearly an origin story for a villain, and the film and the filmmakers – I think go to pretty good lengths to not condone the actions mm-hmm. that he does. Like it's, it's more of an exploration of why would somebody do these actions? Not, Oh, it's okay for this person to do this actions because he's had a bad life. But I do know that we don't live in an ideal world. And I think there are ways that this film could be interpreted in a negative way by people who are looking for that and kind of looking for some sort of validation. Yeah. You know, I, I think maybe this is a stupid example but that's the same reason that there's posters and frat houses about the wolf of wall street yeah (laughs) 
you know, that film clearly does not show Jordan Belford as no. a good person, but there's a lot of people that think he is a badass yes. and wow, I want to have that much. So I, as much as there's not really a wrong way to watch a movie, I could see mm-hmm. that people may watch this movie wrong. But that's a part of American cinema. We are, we are attracted to the bad guys, the Hannibal Lecters, Sid and Nancy. I mean, how many people wear Sid and Nancy t-shirts or natural born killers t-shirts or <laughs> I mean, like, you know, Dahmer, like there's, we, there's right. a fascination to what makes these people tick. And yeah. yes, if you're not in the right frame of mind, anything can impress upon you and you can think too much like what you're idolizing. Um, but you, it is not responsible for that. So I'm not going to allow, you know, this film to be responsible, uh, you know, for the violence that's on film or what it begets in real life. And thankfully, knock on wood, up until today, there hasn't, to the best of my knowledge, been anything um, that yeah. has gone on. I think I'm, I'm glad the theaters went to lengths to make people feel safe for those that chose not to show this movie shame on you that's your absolute choice but to not have watched a movie to make that judgment i feel like is very um is 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 not right yeah i i think i i messaged you earlier talking mm-hmm. about what i wanted to talk about and was saying that hey we can i can finally talk about this because now i've seen the movie yes. I, I did my best to not have any opinions on all that controversial stuff before the film because who am I to know what is actually in the film? And now that we do, I'm pretty surprised at how well they handled it, especially yeah. given some of the comments that some of the creators have said about this. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Todd Phillips totally put his foot in his fucking mouth. This guy, I yeah. swear. Um, I'm pretty sure he's very well-intentioned, but just did not do anything to help the perception of him. And I feel like there's a lot of people that have just grown tired of him and the work like and everything that he's done leading up until this movie that it's like but like i said i can compartmentalize and say i'm gonna right, put you same. aside and appreciate the film but he didn't have to say anything he needed to say you would really make it worse but i mean as of right now it's the all-time october opening box office king yeah damn near worldwide a quarter of a billion dollars in a matter wow. of three days um 93.5 million dollars this weekend domestically wow yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of movie for an R-rated oh, film. Oh, an R-rated film that has no Batman in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Bruce Wayne is in there. It's, yes, Bruce Wayne it's is got in something this. for the kids. For the- <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's uh let's move on to our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff we've been watching. Colby, what have you been watching? Oh man, you know, so aside from uh, Joker, I got a chance to uh catch a couple of Netflix movies I was behind. Um I <laughs> Oh, Lord. I watched In in the Tall Grass. Help! I'm lost in here. Did you hear that? Someone out there? I think we should head back to the road. Becky? Travis? Who are you? What's going on? 
came looking for you. What? How did you get here before us? I don't know. My boy, he's lost in here too. This is nuts. It's only a field. Okay, so I saw the trailer for this in, during the Emmys, I think. And I was like, oh, man, this looks pretty fucking bad. So uh, is it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, certainly it's, <laughs> it's um, mm, man, it. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So I did. I'm not the I'm not gonna say I'm not a big fan of C.B. King. I like his work. I like the way his mind thinks. I feel like people have a very tough time adapting his work. Yeah. Um, and this is just another example of someone having a very tough time adapting his work. And in the tall grass, I was actually intrigued by the trailer. I said, wow, this looks unique. Kind of sci-fi horror thriller. It's got Patrick Wilson, big fan of, don't recognize any of the other names. It's about grass. That's bad. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll go with it, right? The happening. <laughs> I was really hoping it wasn't that. Um, <laughs> and, and like, it's so vague. <laughs> the, uh, uh, hold on, I want, I want to actually pull up the synopsis. The synopsis on because <laughs> my synopsis was very, very different of what I gathered out of it. But pretty much, it is after hearing a young a young boy's cry for help, a sister and brother venture into a vast field of tall grass in Kansas, but soon discover there may not be a way out, and that something evil lurks within. Ooh. Right. So I'm like, okay, you know what? I'll give this a shot. I'm familiar with some of the works that um, Vincenzo Natale has uh, worked on, Splice and other stuff like that. Some of it has not been the greatest. Um, but ultimately, In the Tall Grass should be approached with the same regard as like a keep off grass sign. Stay far the fuck away from this movie <laughs> because you'll only appreciate the time less spent with characters that are too easy not to care about. A story that's so self-absorbed in religious commentary, it forgets to do all the other basic things in filmmaking that you should do, like drive a narrative or entertain an audience. Unless you're into grass people, slight hints of incest and fever dream-like cannibalism. Colby, man, you with the incest again. I remember we oh said gosh. we weren't going to do incest. <laughs> That's right. I don't know what's going on. Why are all these incest films happening to me? <laughs> That's right. Goodness gracious. Oh, man. Oh. Um, okay. So. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Damn. All right. Um, so what drove you to this film specifically? Like, why Why did you think that, oh, this is a good Netflix film yeah, for me? Yeah, this, this is a good, I mean, it's got Patrick Wilson, like, it, it looks good. Um, and, like, I, I just, I had a few hours to kill. And um, in a good, I will say this, it just goes. It picks up and goes. Like, we're we're in the grass, like, in less okay. than 10 minutes. Um, and I was really hoping, like, for something intriguing. And um, the, the, the other, only other way that I can describe how this movie plays out, if you think of the last act of Mother, that's two-thirds of this movie. Okay. I haven't actually seen Mother. So. Oh, good luck with that. Uh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> I will say I, I was unaware – and somebody tweeted at me about this. I was unaware of how anti-religion um, Stephen King and his son, uh, I think Joe Hill, are. So it's very much that in a very horror sci-fi way. And I guess it's, it's adapted from like a, um, a short story that they did. And then I read the synopsis for the short story and I don't understand how they got it to look like that. So yeah, um, stay away. Um, I gave that a two out of 10. Um, okay. <laughs> that's the lowest rating I've ever given a movie. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So definitely don't watch that on yeah. Netflix. 
Do you have anything really quickly that you want to recommend instead of that other than Joker? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, go check out Abominable. Um, I got to see that with my daughter last week. And it's a cute – it's a very generic kids movie, but it is very um, – a cute kids movie. We don't get enough of them. I feel like there needs, needs to be like one or two a month. And um, it's been a little bit since Angry Birds, so I was happy to be able to watch that. Um, I, I, I want to watch all the stuff that everybody's talking about, but like just – it's only like 10 theaters across America – so yeah, <laughs> or, or maybe I need to move back to LA. I, I don't know. I got to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So de- uh, check out Abominable in theaters. Do not check out. I don't even remember something about grass on Netflix. So <laughs> yeah, don't check cool. That out. <laughs> so the thing that I watched recently, other than, you know, I had a little binge of Scorsese films that I really enjoyed taxi driver and the King of comedy. Definitely check those out. If you haven't seen them, I watched big mouth season three on Netflix. I watched the first episode of the first season and I dropped my jaw and I was like, oh, this isn't a kid's show. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so have you seen the rest of the show? No, I, I just, I, and not because, not because, I mean, it's Nick Kroll, right? Yes. I love him. I'm a big The League fan. Um, so I, I really, really like him. I just need to, I need to make more time for, for series. I'm trying to like find time to be able to catch yeah. up. But um, from what I saw, it looks really, really funny. And the fact that it's three seasons in and this just dropped and it looks, it looks hilarious still. Yeah. So, I mean, just for people who don't know, it's uh, an animated show. It's about a group of middle schoolers who are kind of struggling through going through puberty, but it's a very crazy show the their hormones and the way that they're growing through puberty is personified as these hormone monsters that follow them around and they say all these fucked up and vulgar thoughts that kind of go through everybody's head as you're growing up and first dealing with all the things that come with puberty and sexuality and everything um i think the show is actually really very good if you weren't completely turned off by the first episode colby i would recommend continuing with it it's hilarious it does not shy away from problems that come with being sexually frustrated as a kid going through puberty all that so it's like uncomfortably relatable sometimes Mm. um but it does have a stacked comedy cast you know it has nick kroll john mulaney who i will watch do anything jesse klein jason mantzoukas also from the league maya rudolph and jordan peele but I think the best thing about this show is that, yes, it's hilarious. It's meta. It's got that those referential things that are that make Family Guy great when it's great and annoying when it's annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that is awesome. But it also is surprisingly profound and it's actually pretty sentimental. It's a very progressive show. Uh, it touches on a lot of really interesting themes and storylines about Things that you don't really see very often in comedies and um, specifically animated comedies like sexual identity, gender politics. There's even stuff about mental health. But all of that is presented in a way that doesn't feel preachy or even pandering or like it it doesn't feel Mm tokeny. So, for example, there's a character in season three that's kind of trying to figure out what his sexual identity is, who he is as a person, whether that defines him. You know, he's afraid of you know, admitting that to his friends, things like that. But the way that it is explored is through a song and dance about the gender spectrum who is guided by, like he's guided through the song and dance by a pansexual magician voiced by Martin Short and a whole bunch of (laughs) ghosts of dead celebrities who are also like exploring non-heteronormative sexual identities. Wow. So, I mean, it's, it's nuts. This is a show where Kristen Wiig plays like, the voice of a vagina 
Okay. You know, that's a thing. So it's it's out there. Yeah. Um, it's unlike anything I've seen before. And it's a very specific and grotesque type of humor. So it's obviously not going to be for everyone. But it's easily one of my favorite shows on Netflix. Um, season three dropped on on Friday. And then I watched all of it Saturday and just banged it out. And I, I thought it was great. Um, I'd say now that the show, it's starting to feel a little less dynamic than mm-hmm. its previous two seasons. In those seasons, it felt like the characters were in very different places at the start and the end of the seasons. And now they're kind of they're repeating jokes a little bit. And it's clear that they don't always know what to do with all the characters that they're dealing with. But it's still very profound. And I'm really excited to see where the show goes. I hope it kind of follows the kids as they grow for (laughs) as long as Netflix will pay Nick Kroll to make things. But, you know, it consistently makes me laugh and it consistently surprises me what they're able to put in this show. Um, There are some things in season three that I was just like, oh my God, I can't (laughs) believe I'm watching this. It's a show kind of about 13 year olds and it's uh, it's pretty brutal, (laughs) but great show. I would definitely recommend it if you haven't seen it. I will get, I will get to that and to gig comedy. (laughs) (laughs) They're, they're also like 20 minutes, so you can, you can blow through them. Probably not at dinner. You may not, may not want to watch them like while eating food (laughs) or something, but, uh, so this has been our review of Joker. Colby, it's, I mean, it's, it's always wonderful to have you on the pod. I always love your energy and your positivity on Twitter and when you come on the pod. So thank you so much. Um, if you haven't already, definitely follow Colby on Twitter at Colby told me, I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Is there anything that you'd like to plug? Uh, Hey, I mean, Colby told me on Twitter and Instagram, Colby Mac on Facebook. If you're into reading reviews, you can check out the website at ColbyToldMe.com. Of course, I co-host with my compadres at the Minorities Report podcast. You can follow us if you like on Twitter and Instagram at MReportPod. Um, we're going to do our best to try to do a super sode uh, for Joker soon. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's going to be – we're going to try to go through like different iterations of the Joker. I'm, I'm trying – this this actually is helping me out so much to try to format like other talk points because I feel like this is going to be a movie that we're going to talk about for a very, very long time. So I thank you like tremendously for allowing me to guest on this today because uh, this is like – this is exactly what I needed. And there's things that I was able to kind of, you know – have a realization about in the mix of the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so this has been, it's great, but that, that's, that's, that's most of what I got going on right now. Um, I just, I'm ready to keep watching what we got this week. Uh, oh, Gemini man this Friday. Oh yeah. I've heard that is an experience. I've, 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 I've heard it as well, uh, but I'm a big Will Smith fan. So um, I can't wait yeah. for Thursday night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this has definitely been one of my most favorite episodes. So thank you so much for coming on. Anytime, always brother. So the intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's Movie M-A-R-A pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on Podbean at moviemarathoners.podbean.com. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing. And any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. Thank you all for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next time when we run through what is again going to be TBD. Not quite sure, but stay tuned. All right. Bye. 
Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotas, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.